Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, George. This isn't fixed here, is it? I can move this a little bit? Is that okay? Can I move that to the side and maybe move this over? Is that okay? It's a little bit more comfortable the way I usually do it when I'm back in our own church family. Well, hey, why don't, um, I want to invite you to do something. We do this, I do this with our congregation back home in that we take a moment of pause and silence uh, before I begin speaking. And what I would ask you to do in this moment, that you would just simply ask and sense right now how you're feeling. Because if you're going to ask Jesus to do a work in your life, I would invite you to invite Jesus into how you're feeling right now. And just say, Jesus, I invite you. Some of us are going to have a very hard time actually identifying how we're feeling in this moment. But I want, you, I want to invite you to simply do that. Take a moment of pause. Consider how you're feeling. Invite Jesus into that place before we keep going this morning. And so, Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be gathered today. I remember well these community chapels, an opportunity for professors, for staff, for students, for commuters, for those living in res, all to come together and to hear the good news of Jesus. And so I thank you that the gospel is the great leveler and that each of us sit here as your children, eager to hear from you today. So I thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, in 2009, a guy by the name of Forrest Fenn, has anyone ever heard of Forrest Fenn? Forrest Fenn is like a modern day Indiana Jones, and he's been collecting artifacts and a number of things for a number of years. And Forrest Fenn in 2009 told all of those that follow him, and then it ended up going uh, quite, quite a bit larger than na- national, that he had hidden a 10 by 10 inch box of money, jewels and rubies worth upwards of about $2 million. And he gave people, all he gave people to go off of was a bit of a riddle. And he said, now go and find it. He gave them a general location of the Rocky Mountains. And people since then, thousands of people have taken to the mountains to actually try and locate this box, believing that Forrest Fenn is in fact telling the truth. And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding it because five people have died in their quest to find this 10 by 10 inch box. And as you can imagine, some people say, Forrest Fenn, you're such a cruel human being to hide a box and tell, not tell us where it is. And then other people, of course, this is amazing. It's like the best thing ever. We're going to go on this amazing treasure hunt. Now, this story is a great way to segue us into the scriptures today because Jesus, in this parable, in these parables, begins with a story about treasure. And he begins by telling us that the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a couple of treasures. Now, earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus has given us the seed parables. He's then transitioned with his disciples to tell them about the secrecy of the parables. He's told them that only some will be able to actually understand them. And then he gets a little bit more specific here and some parables about the kingdom of heaven. And he specifically, as we understand in the context of Matthew, speaking here specifically to his disciples. And so in many ways, this is a helpful scenario and situation and context by which we find ourselves in today. Many of us likely have heard the good news of Jesus, are probably actively trying to live it out in our lives, seeing it apply in every aspect of our lives. And so here Jesus addresses his disciples with some parables specifically about the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I don't think I need to go into details this morning about what parables are, but Jesus loved parables. Uh, Kenneth Bailey, in his, G- in his book, Jesus Through uh, Middle Eastern Eyes, actually said Jesus was a metaphorical theologian, and that he prioritized simile and metaphor to share great, incredible truths. And here Jesus does the same thing. So if you have your Bibles, maybe it'll be on the screens, I'm not sure. We're in Matthew 13. George read it for us earlier, and we're going to go through line by line. I'll share some details and then make some application. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Now, Matthew uses the language of kingdom of heaven. Mark uses the language kingdom of God. This is very important to the life and ministry of Jesus. You might be familiar. Mark 1 verse 14 says this, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I remember with Stevie T in his uh, Mark class, He talks about uh, this section of Mark being specifically sort of the summary, the hypothesis for the rest of Mark's gospel, these few verses. So the kingdom of God is central to Jesus' ministry. Jesus is representing through the way that he heals people, the people that he hangs out with, what the kingdom of God is like. And then he also teaches that it's already and not yet. So it's pretty central to the life and ministry and the teachings of Jesus. So he says here, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Interesting. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Now, why would this man cover it up? And why in the world is treasure hidden? Well, in a place like ancient Palestine, people would often hide their treasures like this. But it would be very uncommon for somebody to actually find it. So Jesus immediately is helping his hearers understand that there's significance to what is happening here. That the fact that the kingdom of heaven is in this comparison, that this treasure has been found, is significant. We then understand contextually that for this man to find it is good. If this man were to take it out of wherever this treasure was hidden, he would then be required to give it to his master. But we read that he finds it and then he covers it back up. What does he then do? Then in his joy, notice his response. He covers it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he goes and he buys the field. So notice what he does. He he finds this treasure. It's significant to the point that he's found it. He recognizes that there is great value here. And so he goes, and we read that he sells all that he has so that he can take hold of this treasure. Now, Jesus is making an interesting point about discipleship because you imagine that because he hasn't told anybody that the treasure is there, that what he's going to buy the field for is of lesser value than it actually is. What is Jesus saying? The cost of discipleship is minimal to the treasure that you're actually going to receive. The cost of discipleship is minimal to the point of what you're actually going to receive in the field, but no, also in that treasure. It has significant value. The man sells all that he has and takes hold of this treasure that he's found. Jesus continues, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Now immediately notice something about the first parable and the second one. In the first one, this man is not intentionally searching for treasure. Right? Here we have an individual who's intentionally searching for fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the first story is an unintentional finding. The second story is an intentional 
finding. And in that intentional finding, this person realizes how great of a value this pearl is and is willing to sell all other pearls that they have so that they can take hold of this one pearl. What is Jesus saying? Well, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure. Let me say that again. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure. Now, I'm going to go through a number of levels here as I believe this challenges what we think, how we feel, all these other things. On the first level, we have to ask the question, right? It's, it's enforced upon us here. Do you believe that the kingdom of heaven is that good? Do you and I believe that the kingdom of heaven is that good? That it is in fact the greatest treasure as Jesus is telling us here that it is. Now you might say, well, where does this process start? Well, so it starts with understanding the, the great good news of the gospel, the proclamation of the good news. Romans 1 verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God of salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. So do we believe the kingdom of heaven is that good? But then secondly, the next level deeper we got to ask the question, well, what treasures are we, are you and I actually allured to if the kingdom of heaven isn't that good to us? What matters to you most? John Calvin, in his commentary on Matthew, Mark, and Luke, volume two, writes this. The first two of these parables are intended to instruct believers to prefer the kingdom of heaven to the whole world and therefore to deny themselves in all the desires of the flesh that nothing may prevent them from obtaining so valuable a possession. We are greatly in need of such a warning, for we are so captivated by the allurements of the world that eternal life fades from our view, and in consequence, consequence of our carnality, the spiritual graces of God are far from being held by us in the estimation which they deserve. Wow. So if the kingdom of heaven is not the greatest treasure, we must ask the question, what is of great treasure? And a, a values test that I look at is to ask the question, where, do you, where is the majority of your time? Where does the majority of treasure, your treasure? And where does the majority of your talents go? So I want to ask you some questions. Is that okay? Time. What gets the majority of your time? What does your calendar reveal about what you treasure? When you have time all to yourself, when you don't have to think of anything, where does your mind most effortlessly go? What do you enjoy daydreaming about, thinking about in your inner sanctum? You know, for the people that went on Forrest Fenn's treasure hunt, I think we can imagine and know what they spent their time thinking about. Or how about what we treasure what is the first, and when I talk about treasure, I mean, it could also be your finances. And I know many of us are students in the room, but I think there's this, this applies even to us as students. What is the first or second line in, in our budgets? Who gets our first? How do you calculate how much you give away? What are you generous towards? Where have you invested your money? You know, being in Guelph, we're very close, our meeting location to the University of Guelph. And we have around 50 to 70 university students that participate with us. And I'm always blown away by the students who participate in giving because I know that they don't have all that much. But they sacrifice and they give 
because they believe the kingdom of God is that good? Or how about your talents? Where do you extend the majority of your energy? Who gets your service? And who do you voluntarily serve? There is a difference. Who do you voluntarily serve? You know, as a pastor, like I'm paid to serve my congregation. But do I ever consider any of what I give to them my voluntary service? It's a good question to ask. So that's level two. Let's go a little bit deeper. We then have to ask the question, well, why are we allured to these other things? Going back to the example of illustration of Forrest Fenn and his treasure hunt, why did, the, why did these people do it? This is what somebody said about this. We want to imagine ourselves as great explorers doing bold deeds fearlessly, the like of which aren't available or feasible in today's world. This is Chris Hansen, another long, long-time searcher. Then this uh, other, one, other story goes like this. Randy Below's personality changed drastically when he began searching for the treasure, said Linda Below, whose ex-husband moved halfway across the country from Florida to Colorado to be closer to his search area. She said he'd become obsessed with the treasure after he saw Fenn on the Today Show. In September 2016, Randy wrote Fenn an email with the line, I will find your treasure or die trying. Four months later, he went missing after trying to cross the Rio Grande in a small raft he bought at a sporting goods store. Like, imagine being the clerk at the sporting goods store. Where are you going, sir? I'm going to find the treasure. His remains, this is so, so tragic. His remains were later found near Teos, New Mexico. Someone else said, lots of life is complicated and messy, said Johnston, a single mother of two. This is the one thing that I do for me. And so we ask the question, well, what are the things that we are lured to and why are we allured to them? Some of those idols of the heart can be power. They can be approval. We want others to, to like us. They can be control, having control over lies or comfort. But then the level four, there's another way that we go deeper. What are the impact of these treasures when you have them and when you don't? How are you left feeling when nobody sees you? Are you comfortable with being misunderstood? Are you able to be alone? Are you able to be silent? What happens when you feel out of control? Are you left feeling satisfied when you comfort yourself? Are your addictive patterns providing freedom? And into this level four, the message of what Christ is saying to us is here. The kingdom of heaven is the greatest treasure and it's worth every single sacrifice. Jesus continues. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this last parable describes in some ways the, the last judgment. The illustration that Jesus gives is fishermen gathering and separating fish, which was a common practice in those days. This dragnet was taken either between two boats out in the water or one boat out in the water and another tied on land. And it would catch fish of various kinds. The idea being that the gospel is this net that goes out. And it takes hold of people. But the point is this, that the world is a vast sea, and the preaching of the gospel is the casting of the net, which gathers every kind. But hear this, a time will come 
when the net will be full and there will be a separation of the good from the bad. Therefore, we can't miss this, that all of these fish, if we're to think of it that way, have heard the gospel. The separation comes when it is discerned who the gospel takes root in or who has the gospel versus the gospel having them. You see, there's a difference, and I'm not sure the language around this is the best, but I'm, I'm working on it, is that the kingdom, you may have the kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven may not actually have you. Or you may say you have the king, but the king may not actually have you. That, that the knowledge of the king might be there. I mean, we see this in the life and ministry of Jesus as he calls those who are religiously wise to account of the knowledge that they have. Right? I remember, you know, as I was driving here, I've always got a bit reflective when I'm driving to places that I used to spend in a bit, quite a bit of time, right? And I'm driving here, and I'm thinking about, like, okay, a lot has changed about my life since I was at Tyndale. I'm not the same person I was when I graduated. Yet the thing that I still struggle with, like when I was at Tyndale, is keeping Jesus as the greatest treasure in my life. I mean, that is a very true thing, that all of us struggle in our relationships with Jesus to keep him as the primary treasure. And to ask the question is, Jesus, do you have me? I say I have you, but do you actually have me? And this is where the full renovation of the heart needs to take place. And Jesus needs to give us a new heart with new affections and new desires and reorder all of these affections so that he is the primary treasure in our lives. So that we're willing to sacrifice. We're willing to throw away everything else. It's cast it aside as long as I can take hold of you, Jesus, the greatest treasure. I mean, that's what Jesus is telling us in this parable. And is that the case for you? And is that the case for me? Because the temptation is to lean on our own sanctification, our own character, and our own behavior for our justification. And this is not the gospel. Tim Keller writes this in an article called What Are Renewal Dynamics? He says, The first marker of revival is an outpouring of the Spirit of God on and within the congregation so that the presence of God among his people becomes evident and palpable. Nominal Christian, i.e. Christian in name only, church members come to realize they don't actually have a living relationship with Christ by grace, and they get converted. When this first begins to happen, it electrifies people. Here are longtime members getting up and talking about being converted or talking about Christ in radiant terms or expressing repentance in new ways. So where do we begin? You know, you might be sitting here like, I want to make Christ my greatest treasure. I want to believe that the kingdom is that good. I invite you yet again to believe the good news of the gospel, that Jesus left the comforts of heaven next to his father to come to this earth, to show us what the kingdom is like, to take the vengeance of God, to bear it on himself so that we don't have to, and to give us new life, to give us new freedom, to give us new affections, that the kingdom of God is that good. And friends, the world is looking. They're starting to start to not look to us, but they do watch us. And they want to know if all of these different worldviews, are they all the same? Or is there something different about this one that you guys represent? And we've got to represent the kingdom of heaven, which is the greatest treasure. They have to see that it truly is the best and that Jesus is incredible. They need to see Jesus. So point to Jesus. 
pursue Jesus, pursue the kingdom, see that it is in fact the greatest treasure and worth every single sacrifice. What I want to invite you to do as we close today is simply ask of yourself the question and ask God to search your heart and ask the question, are you my greatest treasure? If you're not my greatest treasure, if the kingdom is not that good to me, reveal to me what I am looking to as my treasure or as my justification or as, as my right standing. And Jesus, take that place and remind me yet again that you've made it every way possible for me to spend eternity with you. So let's take some time. I would ask, I don't, I think I was supposed to give a formal benediction, but here is what I would ask you to do, okay? Is to sit, to ponder that question, and then as you have, find answer to that, stand up and depart. Is that Okay. I've sort of given them instruction before I've actually asked formal permission. But please do that, okay? Let me pray for you and then just spend some time getting back to the first things. You know, Revelation 2 in Ephesus, it abandoned the love they had at first. May that be not said of us today. And may Christ be the greatest treasure, the greatest reward. So God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time. God, there's a lot here in these parables. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to live the life that we could not live and die the death that we should have died and to give us newness of life and resurrection. May we see your kingdom as the place, the kingdom of heaven as being the greatest treasure. And may we live in light of this kingdom's rubric. May we pursue you above all else so that the world around us may see that we love Jesus and that his kingdom is wonderful. In your son's name we pray, amen.